Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mystery on the rocks, oh yeah. Mystery on the rocks, yeah. Mystery on the rocks, yeah. And welcome to another episode of Mystery on the Rocks, the show that takes unsolved true mysteries and cocktails and whips them together for a podcast treat directly to your ears yum 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 uh with me as always is the fantastic suze kepner yeah you can't see on the zoom but there's a pig in a wheelchair as my back down image it's a pig that has needs a little more help getting around good for him and the brilliant chris stokes behind me is my spare room Oh. <laughs> it looks fantastic. It does look great. And I appreciate the tiny little um, arrow, the, the, the aromatherapy uh, little gizmo in the back there on that uh, on that big chest nothing, of drawers. Mate. Just behind your head, that, that one. one. Yeah. Ah. Yep. Yep. There is also a Totoro. But oh, yes. It's been exp- he keeps moving. obscured by that bag. Ah, yes. I can see his ears. Yes. Yeah, I thought he'd moved. Oh, and then God. and then we'll see and then we'll see him like it'll cut back to Chris and we'll see the Totoro in another part of the room and he'll just keep <laughs> moving like some really low rent uh, horror film found footage horror film <laughs> uh, and I of course am Masood Milas. If you have just joined us, we are currently in our series about uh, well I guess about it's geopolit covering geopolitics espionage and mysteries <laughs> mysteries um, mysteries. Yes, I, I a lot I more said... episodes than we thought that was going to be. Absolutely, we're, we're still we're still only in World War Two. This yes. is going to run, run, for, run and run for years and years. <laughs> um, as I said, the thing about the low rent horror movie found footage thing, I'd realised I said it because before I joined you, I was watching about half an hour ago. I was watching mm-hmm. like a shitty trailer for a found footage. Um, space movie called apollo 18 i saw that at the cinema you did oh my god it was me and my boyfriend went to see it but boyfriend howard we were like let's go oh see god it. i was about to say something really horrible there <laughs> i was like oh, i didn't realize the it. film was that old <laughs> <laughs> fuck you <laughs> I didn't realize the film was that old that's the worst thing you ever could have said to me uh uh, an adult human female. That's <laughs> I, amusing. I, to be honest, like it's kind of rubbish, but it was all right. It's fine. It's, yeah. They collect rocks. Yeah. And then the rocks. Oh, I'm like, in. They're like crabs. The rocks like go up, up, up and they're like crabs. Oh, they come out of them, and, and the, the guys on the spaceship are like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you watching the trailer for it? Every now and again, like I've I've seen I saw the trailer before the film came out. So what, 2011? Mm. 
And oh, so yeah, every yeah. now and again, in my, like things like that, will I, was, I used to be obsessed with movie trailers. I'd watch mm-hmm. all of them, and they're just sort of swimming around in my head. And it'd yeah. be like and, a DVD of uh, or a CD-ROM yes. of movie trailers with movie yes. magazines. Oh, I was the kid who oh. got them. Oh yeah. CD yeah, ROM. before YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So I remember with an Empire magazine once there was a CD ROM and uh, it had like oh. uh, the trailer for Armageddon on it. Oh, oh my god! Yeah. So some of you, some of you would have to take it into school. Mm. Oh yeah. Take it into school. We watch it on the school computer. And then the, the trailers the you don't ever see at the cinema. You know. Yeah. yeah, it's true. What are we drinking, guys? <laughs> a frozen vanilla blood orange daiquiri. Oh, I saw I saw you sipping on that, Chris, and I I was very jealous. I was like, oh, that looks really really nice. Yeah. So my it's... first instinct was tomato, sort of some sort of tomato ah. thing, but I'm so glad it was daiquiri. Now you've told me what's in it, I'm like, a yama yama so yama. The recipe yeah. calls for vanilla rum, which yes. mm. I didn't have, but I, nice. I did have rum and uh, vanilla essence. And ice cream. Oh. So I cheated. So I just <laughs> uh, put, I just put a drop of vanilla essence into the the rum mm-hmm. then it called for uh, simple syrup raspberry liqueur lime juice blood orange juice and then ice and then you just whiz it all up yeah delicious very nice now now i want to have i can't wait till summer where i can have just a jug of margaritas in the free in the fridge oh should we all meet up and drink margaritas yes yes in a, on a bench <laughs> <laughs> out of brown paper bags yes please <laughs> What um what are you drinking, Suze? Oh, this oh I need a name for it actually. So you know how much I love Frangelico. Mm-hmm. A bit. Just a tad. But I thought, hmm, what if I got hazelnut syrup that oh. you would put in like coffee? Okay, yeah. And that would be like quite a because then you've got simple syrup with a hazelnut flavour. Yes. Um instead of Frangelico. Uh-huh. So I've got a shot of that, but then I've made the mistake of doing EXO. Uh, which is coffee tequila liqueur. Yes. But it's a very overpowering flavour. Mm. So what I ended was I added, where is it? Where'd you go, baby? There you are. Uh, tiger gin. Oh. Oh. Tiger gin. Because I thought that'll give it a bit. And, that, and it, say, I saved the bake. Oh. Uh, it's, it's really nice. You could, there's, now that I've put the gin in, now i got a hint of the hazelnut. Out of interest, oh. why mm. did you want to use hazelnut syrup instead of frangelico? Um, because I thought that would be a stronger flavour. Oh. So you wanted but... the more hazelnutty flavour rather than the... Yeah, rather right. than more alcohol, yeah, because you only need a little bit in coffee, obviously. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, yeah, this is pretty nice. Yeah. It's weirdly earthy, but it is sweet, obviously. I need a name for it. It's um... another surprise Sue's co- concoction, because I would never <laughs> have put gin and coffee. Gin and yeah, coffee. I would not have gin put those... and coffee tequila Because I guess like yeah. an espresso martini, like a porn star martini, is so far away from a martini that... Yes. Mm. But yeah, I think like... Need... I mean, as someone who puts gin in everything, I'm like, ah, I'm sure you could make it work. That feels like Well, I, the way I saw it was like, because it's coffee-based tequila, it's tequila-based coffee even. If you put tequila and gin together, that's all right. Yeah, they usually you do usually a Long Island iced tea. You do tequila, gin, orange liqueur, rum. Yeah. So I was like, well, gin, tequila, they don't. It's not like oil and water. No. Anyway, yeah, it's all right. Um, need a name for it, really. Ooh. Oh dear, what do we think? The the EXO gin and hazelnut syrup. It's called XOXO. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> 
co- coffee XOXO, so it sort of looks like. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, then it's like coffee hugs and kisses. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what coffee I was Coffee XOXO, that's good. Coffee XOXO, yeah. And what are you drinking, what are you drinking Masood? Masood? Mm. This is a concoction I found on uh, Reddit where, oh, lots of opinions collide. Um, uh, Reddit so, where opinions collide. <laughs> it's Amaro, overproof rum. So that's that um, Ray and Sons, I think it is, that white Jamaican rum. What does overproof mm-hmm. mean? As in like... Uh, I think it's like... I'm not entirely sure. I looked. It is up it in the same way that cask strength whiskey is like much stronger whiskey than regular is over i think it is that it is like slightly oh ray, ray and nephew sorry not ray and yes it is it's it's just a bit more alcoholic really mm. oh, okay um, yeah it's any is any rum that contains more than 50 percent alcohol by volume so yes because i think Ooh. regular rum is slightly less if i'm, slightly, I'm not entirely sure regular rum 40 yeah. percent, isn't it so we've got overproof rum amaro uh these are all in equal measure as well cointreau lime juice and then a couple of dashes of Angostura bitters, shake it up mm. with ice. Um, now, the name of it on Reddit, well, somebody said, oh, I need a name for it. So somebody called it a medicine man. And I was like, okay, I'm not entirely happy with that culturally. Um, <laughs> and then somebody... That's terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, dude, that, that sucks. It's a, suck, it's a sucky name. Uh, you're like, ugh. <laughs> medicine then, man, guys. And then somebody, because Ray and nephew is a Jamaican rum, so it's like, surely it should be called a medicine mop, like, like in a Jamaican accent, like, <laughs> oh no they didn't and I was like nah not happy with either of those and you're actually. like read it oh, yeah it'd be shit. weird if they said medicine man and you were like nah it's a sucky name and then someone suggested medicine man and you were like no we're cooking there we uh, go yeah. this is it this is what I'm talking about I knew Reddit <laughs> I could rely on Reddit for <laughs> you can always rely on Reddit <laughs> although I'm quite liking it um, when I first made it it was super bitter and now it sat for a while is really really quite mellowed and quite nice quite round so this is a concoction Ooh. you found on reddit yes um, and no I one didn't have a name, name yet it. no one had a name for it i didn't I like the two that they'd suggested sure okay. oh the names are already there right although it, it also kind of cool because oh well, yeah, you got one? Man yeah a, a marova proof marova oh, that's good Ooh, i like that i like that a lot you got the that's Amaro much better and than the a man yeah i like that <laughs> That's good. No, no, actually, uh, Suze, I would have preferred a Masood mom. <laughs> uh, right, Chris, what do you have for us today? The man who never was, oh. otherwise known as Operation oh. Mincemeat. Ah! I'm excited about this. And a very, very popular musical. Has it already come out, the the movie? Or is it out soon? Don't know. I know Matthew McFadden's in it, and that makes me very excited. Apparently, they've made it as a comedy. Yes. Well, the the, um, musical is a comedy farce. Oh, right. With everyone playing different roles. So the the film is also a comedy as well. It's scheduled to be released in the... Oh, uh, it's out. In the UK on April the 22nd. Oh, okay. It's been made already. Because oh, isn't okay. there another film of it that already exists? Yeah, but made in the 50s called The Man Who Never Was. Oh, I see. I've got you. I believe, okay. yeah. I, I'm not actually sure whether it says or not here that it is a comedy. However, the trailer implies that it's played quite light. Okay. Yes, it's, it's fairly amusing. Uh, at least in the trailer, I seem to remember. There's funny actors. Look, yeah. Colin Firth, he's funny. He's hilarious. Kelly McDonald, she's, she's good Penelope fun. Penelope Wilton. 
Oh, look at all these funny people. Look Jason Isaacs, he's so funny. So the, do you know what Operation Mincemeat is? If you were aware of the musical Suze, you must know the... I haven't seen the musical. All oh. I know is Jack Malone, who starred in the Grayson Perry musical that also starred me, Suze Kempner, in September last year. He's in it. Wait. So that's all I know. I think I know a bit about it, but I'd, I'd like you to sort of... I feel like I know the Wikipedia top notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what it was. And then uh, I think the reason it counts as a mystery is... Um, well, we'll get into it. Mm. Operation Mincemeat was a British intelligence bluff to mm-hmm. take attention away from the invasion of Sicily. Yes. Okay. So the, the Allies were going to attack Sicily. Right. But to trick the enemy, they tried to convince them that they were actually going to attack elsewhere. Okay. So what they did was they they obtained a dead body, gave the dead body fake military identification. Right. Along with a letter on the body that said the Allies were going to invade Greece and Sardinia. Okay. And then they planted him in the ocean to wash up for the enemy to find and to be like, oh my God, they're about to attack Sardinia and Greece when actually they were going to attack Sicily. Wow. That's it in a nutshell. It came from something called the Trout Memo, right? Which, okay, so this is 1943. Yes. In 1939, the Trout Memo was written. It's a, a document and it compares deceiving an enemy during wartime with fly fishing. Okay. Right? Mm. It was Jim issued under R. the name Hardy. of Admiral John Godfrey, who was the mm-hmm. Director of Naval Intelligence in Britain at the time. But that's not probably who wrote it. We'll get to that a bit later. Okay. Uh, because it was it, it was issued under his name, so it came from his office, but it wasn't necessarily Admiral John Godfrey that wrote it. Okay. But the, the Trout Memo, it's this is a quote from it. The trout fisher casts patiently all day. He frequently changes his venue and his laws. If he has frightened a fish, he may give the water a rest for half an hour, but his main endeavour, vis-a-vis to attract fish by something he sends out from his boat, is incessant. And then the memo goes on to list 54 ways that the enemy, like a trout, can be fooled or lured in. Okay. <laughs> and that's how Operation Mincemeat became a thing. So uh, the 28th suggestion right. on that list of 54 was titled, A Suggestion, brackets, not a very nice one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least they had a sense of humour, these guys. And then the idea was the inspiration for Operation Mincemeat, mm. which is what they then did. So they plant misleading documents on a dead body to convince the Germans that the Allies are going to attack Greece and Sardinia instead of Sicily in 1943. Right. Mm-hmm. The person that probably most likely wrote the Trout Memo worked for the Admiral John Godfrey. Mm-hmm. John Godfrey's personal assistant at the time was also a writer, so he's probably the one that wrote the memo. And he was Ian Fleming. What? Wow, okay. Okay. So Interesting. Winston Churchill approved the plan. Yeah. And the military commander in the Mediterranean approved it as well, who was a General Dwight D. Eisenhower. Oh. Oh. The plan began by transporting the body to the southern coast of Spain by submarine, then releasing mm-hmm. it close to the shore where it was picked up by the follow but picked up the following morning by a Spanish fisherman. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you remember from our Franco episode? A Franco. Franco Franco was running <laughs> Spain as a dictatorship at this point. 
Yeah, yeah. For, uh, only for about 75 years. <laughs> yeah. the, Spanish, the Spanish Civil War <laughs> was nominally over, with. officially over. Yeah. And Spain mm. were, I guess, officially neutral. Yeah. Mm. So they shared the copies of the documents found on the dead body with the Abwehr, oh. right. the German military intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. And then they returned the originals to the British. So Spain were like, Oh, we better get, this is a British guy. We better give him back to the British. But before we do, hey, Germans, look at this. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, fuck. Oh. Forensic examination showed that the notes had been read and decrypts of German messages showed that the Germans had fallen for it. So oh. reinforcements were shifted to Greece and Star- Sardinia. Uh, like a- Axis forces were reinforcements were shifted to Greece and Sardinia before and during the invasion of Sicily. But Sicily didn't have any. So they fell for it. Mm. Oh, fuck. Operation Mincemeat was therefore basically a success. And to continue the angling mo- uh, motif, when the operation succeeded, confirmation was sent to Winston Churchill. Mincemeat swallowed rod, line, and sinker. Oof. Ah! The, the, I mean, this is like, <laughs> like I know it's made, in, like, it's a real thing that made into a movie, but it feels like this is proper movie shit. You know what I mean? It's like, yes! it's, it's like. Yeah, if it, it's, you know, one of those stranger than fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just can't, like. But even yeah. just the, as you said before, like the sort of fishing motif, the the idea of yeah. like, well, here's an idea. It's not a good one, but we put a dead body out there and then we tell them something's going to happen and we give them the old switcheroo. And it's like, I mean, it feels like a Looney Tunes thing that no one would fall yes. for. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. It's like with Castro, they had all these ridiculous ways of trying to kill him. Exploding cigar. Yeah. And, yeah. and they almost did it. <laughs> like, yes. They planted them. He just never smoked them. <laughs> was there something to do with Castro at one point where they were thought he beard had his beard had magical powers or something? <laughs> yeah, I feel that that's this is a very real thing. Really it odd, does ring a really, bell, actually. Yeah, that's to do with um, the CIA. Oh, they, this... There was some memo that went around. They were like, I think the beard has magical powers. And they were like, if we could just get the beard off his face. What are we going to use to cut it? Um, the Spear of Destiny. Come on, guys. What are we fucking amateurs out here? Like, come on now. <laughs> He's got a magical beard. I mean, to yeah. be fair, I wouldn't put it past Castro. He lived a long time. That beard was magical <laughs> as hell, was man. A magical beard. One of the intelligence officers who planned and carried out uh, the operation was called Ewan Montague. Ah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, along with a guy called Charles Chalmondley. Hmm. Uh, oh, is it Chumdley? It probably is, actually. Because I think that's how it's spelt when it's Harry Enfield, Mr. Chumley Warner. Oh. I think that's how it's spelt. Oh, for educating me. Is that helpful? Yeah, very helpful, yeah. Chalamondly. I know, um, it's stupid, though. It's like how Menzies is. That's Ming. No, it isn't. Shut yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean that the shop was called John Mingus? <laughs> yeah, maybe. What about Tobias? Is it Tobias, Tobias Mingus? No, Tobias, Tobias, Tobias is Thomas. That's how you say it. Oh. No, it isn't. So it's Thomas Thomas Mingus, the actor? Thomas Menzies. <laughs> I just got this all wrong. <laughs> he looks like the sort of person that if you said, Ah, Thomas Mingus, nice to meet you, he'd go, mm, Yes, you too. Yes. <laughs> he would be too polite to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just sort of do that little like. Yeah, and then later <laughs> on, when he's regaling an anecdote about uh, a part that got away, when he met a director, he'd be saying like, "And the director said to me, Thomas, because he doesn't want to embarrass you, you know." Yes. 
<laughs> oh, what a, oh, what a stand-up guy. I really like him. <laughs> Charles, what did you say it was? Chumley? I think it's Chumley. Mm. Chumley. Charles, Charles Chumley and uh, Ewan Montague, they write down to choosing the location. Where uh, to drop off the body. Where to, where to, to drop to, off the body, yeah. yeah. So they, they, they chose a location where the Spanish officials were pro-German. So they knew that they would... Sure. Oh right. Um, mm. And then Montague was the one that manufactured the false identity uh, for the cops having his pockets, military ID, theatre ticket stubs, love letters, a, fio- a photo of fiance, bills from a tailor, and a jewel. Like they went to town. Wow. On this oh, guy I bet they like had real... such a good time spitballing yeah. it as well. It'd be like, what if he collected stamps? <laughs> <laughs> November 2021, right, which was recent. Yes. Uh, the Jewish yeah. American Society for Historic Preservation, working with the Association of Jewish Ex Servicemen and Women and the London Borough of Hackney, placed a memorial for Operation Mincemeat at Hackney Mortuary. Oh, yeah. I should, that's very close to me. I might go. I might go have a peek. Might have a might have a trip to the mortuary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a little peek. Uh, just, uh, hey, on my usual trips to the mortuary, I might I might make a detour to the Operation Mincemeat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I say, the Germans were fooled. Apparently, uh, German documents found after the war showed that the false information went all the way to Hitler's HQ, and it Fuck led to German forces being diverted to Greece. <gasps> so the opera- the invasion of Sicily was it was in- entirely successful. Was a I- success, yeah. Hugh Trevor Roper is a historian who's called it the best deception in the history of military deception. Oh I mean, it's, it's because it's like I, I'm hearing about it and my heart is slightly beating because this is the sort of shit that mm. I'd be terrified to be involved in because I'd just be like, yeah! what if somebody's just like, wait a minute, there wasn't a showing of this tick of this show at this time, and they then they find the ticket stub, and then it's all fucking all it takes is one thing, the whole you know one pull one thread and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, well, it's like how, you know how, um, it goes, this is good in their head. You know how people go, uh, 9-11 was an inside job. And one of the main reasons it can't have been is the amount of people who'd had to be on board. Yes, it's ridiculous. For it to have stayed a, a secret yeah. inside job. Well, stuff like Operation Mincemeat, you go like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the but amount like, of people who had to be like, shh, don't say nothing. It's probably, I'd say like it's, I, I don't know how big the team was, but I imagine it's probably like somewhere in the... 15 to 20 people yeah, who know who know a part yeah. of it but maybe mm. not the whole thing and then it's <laughs> still mm. even then yeah. it's like that's fucking risky uh you and montague like years after the war um yeah. in 1953 he wrote the man who never was uh, a book ah, about it right uh, which was a, a non-fiction account and then uh, that was then turned into the movie in 1956 mm. ah okay so yeah, it's a hell of a story. Yeah, and otherwise known as the man who never was, because oh. um, named after this uh, book that Montague wrote, but also because the body was um, who was he? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it. Who's this, this is... guy? Who's this man? Strangely, there's only twenty six reviews of that on Amazon. What of, of the movie? Uh, no, of the of the book, the man who never was. It's like oh. I'm sort of sat here going like. That should be in the hundreds at least. <laughs> it's yeah, twenty six. It's, a real, it's a real story. It's not even made up. Yeah. Yeah, they must have had to get a real corpse. Oh God, are we going to find out something awful? So Montague mm. and Chumley were assisted by an MI six representative called Frank Foley, who like they went through the practicalities of of, of the whole thing to see even if they could pull it off. 
Sure. Um, so then they went to a pathologist called Sir Bernard Spilsbury uh, <laughs> to determine what kind of body they needed and what factors they would need to take into account to fool a Spanish pathologist. Because, of course, anybody washed up would be examined by another pathologist. So they needed yeah. a pathologist to say this is what they'll be looking for. So Spilsbury informed him that those who died in an air crash did from shock and not from drowning. So the lungs would not necessarily be filled up with water. He said, ah, this is a this is a sentence of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) He added that this is a direct quote. Spaniards, as Roman Catholics, are averse to postmortems and do not hold them unless the cause of death was of great import. Um, so, uh, Spaniards never want to find uh, out how they Spilsbury died. Spilsbury advised oh them that a person could have suffered one of many different causes of death, which could be misconstrued in an autopsy. And then Montague wrote, if a post-mortem examination was made by someone who had formed the preconceived idea that the death was probably due to drowning, there was little likelihood that the difference between this liquid in the lungs that had started to decompose and seawater would be noticed. So, okay. They were like, oh, so that their spirits were buoyed a little bit because that meant to them that they would have a better degree of success than they previously thought. They all looked at each other and went, yes! Yeah. <laughs> but, they, yeah, so like, not only did this now make them think, oh, well, the plan now has more likelihood of working, but right. it also meant that the pool of potential corpses was larger. Ah, ah, okay. So, as, I mean, as grim as that is, it's like, oh, that's a good. That's a, at least you have a wide thing to pick from. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I thought this was a company, but it turns out it's a man because Montague discussed the possibility of obtaining a corpse with Bentley Purchase. <laughs> uh, Sir William Bentley Purchase. No, not 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 Bentley the car company. He was a British physician <laughs> and barrister. Okay. These are all like J.K. Rowling names. So the Spilsbury. Uh, yeah, he was also at the time the coroner for the North District of London, and okay. uh, he told Montague that there's going to be practical and legal difficulties about this, and I guess like when it comes to wartime, that sort of thing can be. Like, I always thought it was it was like it's it's fairly close like like you you're about to say Chris is like it, some stuff goes out the window. I was always under the impression like in wartime they're like mm, some things we've got to be somewhat yeah, careful. Of all how is fair we do in it. love and war and all that. It's like you can kind of get away with it, but like there's got to be a damn good a damn good reason. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> he was told that there would be difficulties about this for right. purchase. Yeah, and uh, Bentley Purchase said, "I should. Th- I've, I've given them all the same plummy voice. <laughs> I should think bodies are the only commodities not in short supply at the moment. But even with bodies all over the place, each one has to be accounted for." Oh, he's yeah, saying yeah. it with a drink in his hand. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, one of your drinks, Masood. <laughs> well, uh, I should think that. Uh... <laughs> I think it should be called a Masood Mon. <laughs> <laughs> But then uh, Bentley Purchase promised to look out for a body nonetheless that was suitable uh, ah. with no relatives who would claim the corpse for burial. So, you know. Mm. Yeah. On the 28th of January, 1943, <laughs> Purchase contacted Montague with the news that he had located a body. Mm. Oh, where? A homeless gentleman that had died from eating rat poison. Oh, oh my. Purchase informed Montague and Chomley that the small amount of poison in the system would not be identified in a body that was supposed to have been floating in the sea for several days. So when Montague commented that the undernourished corpse did not look like a fit field officer, Purchase then informed him that he doesn't have to look like an officer, only a staff officer, more used to office work. And then Purchase agreed to keep the body in the mortuary refrigerator at a temperature of four degrees. Yeah. That's centigrade. Mm -hmm. 
uh, any colder and the flesh would freeze, which would be obvious oh. after the body defrosted. He yes. then warned Montague and Chumley that the body had to be used within three months. Gave it a best before date. <laughs> You've got to July, lads. You can't fuck about. It's more of a suggestion, really, though, isn't it? How many times have we opened the fridge and been like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> It'll be all right. Depends how drunk you are. Um, <laughs> Uh, but after three months, it would have decomposed past the point of use. Run him under the hot tap. Run him under the hot oh, tap so he thaws. And then you... <laughs> Montague selected the name Mincemeat. Okay. Um, the, on 4th of February 1943, so a month after the body had been found, they filed their plan for the operation with the 20 committee. They began to create, Montague and Chumley, the background and character for the... They loved it! Honestly, they loved it. they've got a photograph of the fictitious girlfriend, Pam. And there's a photograph there. It's a real photograph. Um, yeah. They decided... It's like a busty babe. Like. <laughs> Wish you were her. <laughs> it's a drawing of Betty Boop. <laughs> um, uh, the name and rank chosen was Captain William Martin of the Royal Marines. Uh, the name Martin was selected because there were several men with that name of about that rank in the Royal Marines. So it was harder for... It would check right, out yeah. a nominal gland. Sure. Uh, as a Royal Marine, Major Martin came under Admiralty authority and it would be easy to ensure that all official inquiries and messages about his death would be routed to the Naval Intelligence Division. Okay. Additionally, Royal Marines would wear battle dress, which was easily obtainable and came in standard sizes. The rank of acting major made him senior enough to be entrusted with the sensitive documents that he would be carrying, but not so prominent that anyone would expect to know him. So mm-hmm. they were like, why would he have these documents in the yes he's got to be someone smack dab just high enough but not quite yeah, yeah. so they made the the identity cards and a photograph of a different guy mm. to reinforce the impression it might have been a real person Montague and Chumley provided corroborative details to be carried on the person known in espionage circles and this is cool as pocket litter so, <gasps> oh. uh, these included maybe that could be the name of one of our cocktails pocket, pocket litter. litter I like that a lot that's great it would be one for like tiny little um, miniatures that you'd got in a hotel, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And it was all that was available, just these miniatures. Pocket litter. Pocket litter. <laughs> Pocket Ooh, litter like is that. our side podcast where we check into hotels and Masood makes a cocktail from what's in there. From the... <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm happy to do that. When we go on tour, that's what we'll do. <laughs> uh, so the pocket litter included the photograph of the inventive fiance, fiance named Pam. The image was actually of an MI5 clerk called Jean Leslie. Oh. No. She was like, I'll be the girlfriend. Be the, yeah. <laughs> uh, two love letters from Pam were included, in, uh, as was a receipt for a diamond engagement ring, costing £53 and 10 shillings and 6 pence from a Bond Street jewellery shop. Additional personal correspondence was included, consisting of a letter from the fictitious Martin's father, mm-hmm. described, uh, described as pompous and pedantic, as only an Edwardian father could be. Uh, there was also a <laughs> note from the family solicitor, a message from Lloyd's Bank, demanding payment of an overdraft of £79, 19 shillings and 2 pence. Oh my God. He bought the ring, mate. He bought the ring. That's probably like to town on it, yeah. Uh, To ensure that the letters would remain legible after immersion in seawater, Montague asked scientists from MI5 to conduct tests on different inks to see which would last the longest in the water. Mm. Wow. Operation Mincemeat was not a Mickey Mouse operation. No. They really fucking went Other items of pocket litter placed on Martin included a book of stamps, a silver cross, a St. Christopher's medallion, cigarettes, matches, pencil stub keys, and a receipt for a new shirt. And then to provide a date that he'd been in London, ticket stubs from a London theatre, and a bill for four nights lodging at the Naval and Military Club were also added. So it all seems really plausible as well. It doesn't seem like they're overloading it with this is information for the enemy to think it's a real person. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it feels, feels like, like they, 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 they trod that tightrope incredibly well. Yes. 
I feel like they just sort of went, I reckon they would have gone, you, come here, right, empty your pockets. Yeah. That's what we need to put. <laughs> they, just, they just got someone who's walk around the office and went, all that. So uh, to get the picture for the naval identity card, they did try taking pictures of the, the corpse? body. Yeah. It was obvious that it was a dead body. So yes. they then looked for people who resembled the corpse and they found mm-hmm. Captain Ronnie Reed from MI5. Uh, okay. So he he put on a different uniform from what he because he was in a different uh, division. He yes. put on the uniform, had the photograph taken, and the three cards and the passes needed to look because they well they they hadn't they had to look older basically. Yeah. They well, they stayed in with tea like you did when you were a kid. No. And you made treasure. <laughs> you think right? You think none of them did Best thing ever. That. Screw up yeah. a bit of paper. Stain it with tea. Even more obvious. What they did was they just issued them. They were made to be issued as replacements for lost originals. Oh, of course, that's so simple. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Montague, though, did spend the next few weeks rubbing all three cards on his trousers to ensure <laughs> that a used sheen was given to them. So uh, whenever you probably met Montague, he was like, no, it's... <laughs> He's very creepy, that Montague. He's always rubbing his... <laughs> uh, Chumley, the uniform they were going to dress the corpse in, Chumley wore it loads. Yes, so it would feel to give it that wit, the wear. very good idea, yeah. yeah. They thought of everything, my God. They really did. Wow. This is an interesting sentence. The only non-issue part to the uniform would be the underwear, right? Which yeah. was in short supply in war ration Britain. So ah. a pair of good quality woolen underwear owned by the late Herbert Fisher, who was an English historian, educator, liberal politician, who had served as president of the Board of Education in David Lloyd George's coalition government. Anyway, he died... And they used his underwear. They used his pants <laughs> for the corpse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gross. I, I keep thinking about it a little bit more and going, ugh, ugh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Did he wear Wi-Fi? He wore Wi-Fi for me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. had the, the letter that had all of the information that they wanted the Germans to fall for. That that was meant to have come from somebody, meant for somebody else, and mm-hmm. they went through all that. And then, like I said, they had to sort of like, where are we going to have the body wash up? And uh, It just feels with everything like so deliberate. It yeah. does feel like, it's like, oh, it could all go, it could all go wrong. But like, it, that's the scary part. It's like you, you plan it all and you just hope that the Germans will be like, oh yeah, that sounds good. But they won't be like, wait, wait a minute. The actual people yeah. carrying out this mission, though, would have to have become really used 
to the cups. Yes. Yeah. Just it, it, I almost think it was just like there. you know Norman Bates and his mother in Psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like they chat to him. Yeah, <laughs> just the cups would just become part of the furniture. Yeah. The, so in the early hours of the seventeenth of April, nineteen forty-three, the cups was dressed as Martin, but mm-hmm. there was one right. last-minute problem. Ewan had fallen in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what? Okay, the that's... Operation Mincemeat is what he called it. <laughs> what he calls banging a corpse mincemeat. <laughs> There's uh... just one problem. I've fallen in love. I can't let them do this to you. You've fallen <laughs> in love with the made-up girlfriend. No, God, no. no. Oh no. <laughs> that no. would be ridiculous. She's With not the... real. I know that's Jean. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jean, a filthy, disgusting, bad mouthed feminist. <laughs> but she's what... cursing. Beautiful man. What was that? <laughs> you want me to kiss you? Oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> William, we must. <laughs> but but we're in the middle we're in the middle of this operation. I can't I... Oh. <laughs> you... I'll make mincemeat of you. Oh, you. oh my <laughs> <laughs> What a horrible podcast. Um, oh, my. So, so the feet had frozen, which means that they couldn't put the boots on. So they did <laughs> oh, have to defrost oh, feet the feet like... with an electric fire enough to put the boots on. Um, this is amazing. Uh, then they placed all of the pocket litter on the body. Briefcase. Uh, the body was placed in a, a canister, which was filled with 21 pounds of dry ice and sealed up. I'm still thinking Ooh, like, about the about the, so, the corpse love thing and just a, a weekend at Bernie's type deal where he well, like sneaks him really, out to the theater. Um, really disappointed if that's not in the film operation. A <laughs> <laughs> weekend it's at Bernie's ass sequence where they they dress him in sunglasses going to the theater. <laughs> Come on, he deserves one last night on the town. <laughs> Like a montage of him in a horse and carriage. Take him to see Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh. We'll always have Operation Mincemeat, William. <laughs> <laughs> Montague buys some popcorn, puts his own hole in it, and then oh, sits on, sit on his lap. <laughs> oh, then he gets uh, the corpse's his, hand. Puts his and... hand into the, the popcorn and looks at the corpse and goes, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I asked for sweet, not salty. Salty. (laughs) You truly are playing it again. Oh my goodness. You won't regret. (laughs) And and he makes the corpse rebuff him. Because you won't regret this today, William, but you will someday. Maybe not today, (laughs) maybe not tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> His kink is being turned down, so he gets the corpse to like fall away for a minute. Like, oh, and then he holds the corpse's arm up like that and slaps his face. Slaps his own face. <laughs> you're right, and he, and it makes him snap out of it. He's like, William, you're right. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have disrespected you so. <laughs> My goodness. So this is this is the deleted scenes of. You're off to win the war tomorrow, of course. <laughs> this shit what are we doing? The musical. What are we doing, William? I need to know where I stand in this relationship. God damn it! <laughs> I know where you stand. You don't stand at all. <laughs> You're dead, William. Sorry, oh my, my clanky chair is ruining everything by going clonk clonk as I giggle. So they um, they put him in this canister, and then the dry ice was put in. Mm-hmm. So when the dry ice, it's called sublimated, which means it goes straight from a solid to a gas. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it filled the canister with carbon dioxide. No oxygen was in there. So then the body was preserved without of any refrigeration. And mm. that canister was put 
in uh, a van which got driven by an MI5 <laughs> agent called St John Ratcliffe Stuart Horsfall. Um, but it's Sinjin. Uh, it is, yeah. They say it's his Sinjin, yeah. Um, Sinjin, which is weird. Uh, Most people are weird. But that's his, uh, that's his Christian name. That's not his surname. Uh, oh. And he'd been a racing champion before the war. Chumley and Montague travelled in the back of the van as well. And then it was driven through the Of course the night they did. Mm. To, uh, <laughs> it was driven through the night to West Scotland. The canister was taken on board the submarine. The, the HMS Seraph. Uh, Seraph's commander, <laughs> Lieutenant Bill Jewell. He told the crew of the submarine that the canister contained a top-secret meteorological device to be deployed near Spain, so we didn't tell anybody what was in there. Ah, uh, the old Back to the Future <laughs> defence. It's uh, some new weather-sensing equipment. <laughs> On the 19th of April, the submarine set off uh, and arrived just off the coast of Huelva, uh, right. Spain, on the 29th of April, after having been bombed twice en route. Oh, shit. So imagine if the submarine had been destroyed by accident on the way. That's, oh, man, the whole thing would yeah. Uh, at 4.15am on the 30th of April, the Seraph surfaced. Jewel and the, had the canister brought up on deck and then sent all the crew below except for the officers. They opened the container, lowered the body into the water, mm-hmm. uh, and then they legged it. Uh, mm. So the but also in a way that the um, and cried the, the wake <laughs> the wake of the submarine, submarine would push the corpse behind it. But they the thought of everything. Fuck me. Uh, the canister was reloaded and the submarine travelled 12 miles where it surfaced in the middle of the ocean and the empty container was pushed into the water. Wow. And then they shot it full of machine gun fire so that it would sink. Sink, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, because me. of the air trapped in the insulation, this failed. So the canister was destroyed with plastic explosives. Oh. <laughs> uh, and ah. Jewel then afterwards sent a message saying, mincemeat completed and then carried on to Gibraltar. Okay. Mincemeat has been browned. Uh, add onions. <laughs> Sauté. <laughs> the body was found that morning by a local wow, that's, fisherman. Wow, that's a stroke of luck, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because it could it have been taken, around for uh, It was taken ages. into town by Spanish soldiers where it was handed over to a naval judge. Uh, <laughs> they all fell in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so beautiful. <laughs> He's so beautiful. So yeah, on the 1st of May, which was the next day, an autopsy was taken. Mm. Okay. The uh, British knew that the body in the briefcase had been found because uh, a series of prescripted diplomatic cables were sent between um, a guy, Hazeldon, because he was the vice consul. So he was officially mm-hmm. informed by the Spanish. Mm-hmm. British knew that, that these were being intercepted. <laughs> and although they were encrypted, the Germans had broken the code. So the messages played out the story that it was imperative that Hazeldon retrieve the briefcase because it was important. So that was another double bluff. So because right. the messages between ha- uh, the vice consul and the British were being intercepted, and they knew that. They said, you need to get that briefcase back because the contents is important. Ooh. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. So Hazelden was yeah. present at the autopsy. In order to minimise the possibilities that the two Spanish doctors identified that the body was a three-month-old corpse, Hazelden asked if in the heat of the day and smell of the corpse, the doctors should bring the post-mortem to a close and just have lunch. They agreed and then signed a death certificate. <laughs> he was like, I got party rings. For Major William Martin for uh, asphyxiation <laughs> through immersion in the sea. The body was released by the Spanish. And as Major Martin, it was buried in the San Marco section of Nuestra Senora Cemetery in Huelva with full military honours on the 2nd of May. Wow. Oh, nice. I like that they gave this corpse honours. So they have um, so, oh, so they buried him full military honours, and, uh, and so they bought it. They bought it. Yeah, they, they did buy it. Yeah. it. 
Wow. All because lunch was prepared. <laughs> um, the Spanish Navy retained the briefcase, but it wasn't handed over to the Germans, despite pressure from the Abwehr. Mm-hmm. On the 5th of May, the briefcase was passed to naval headquarters near Cadiz, uh, and then it was forwarded on to Madrid. And then while it was there, the contents were photographed by German sympathisers, but the letters were not opened. Once the briefcase arrived in Madrid, its contents became the focus of Karl Erich Kulenthal, one of the most senior Abwehr agents in Spain. And then he asked his admiral, the head of the Abwehr, to personally intervene and to persuade the Spanish to hand over the documents, which they did. The Spanish oh, he removed arrived this... on a motorbike. He's a cool guy. <laughs> the uh, Spanish removed the still damp paper by tightly winding it around a probe into a cylindrical shape and then pulling it out between the envelope flap, which was still closed by a wax seal and then the envelope body. Their letters were dried, photographed, then soaked in salt for 24 hours before being reinserted into their envelopes. But get this... The British. Oh, so that was to make sure it looked like it wasn't opened, right? Yeah, right, but okay, yeah. the British had planted an eyelash in there. <gasps> but to obviously, know that obviously fell out. Open. So then, yes. by it being put back in there, the eyelash wasn't in there anymore. That's how they knew the knew it was open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! It's a classic, like um, and they used I think an eyelash, something too tiny to. People do that with like um, if you want to make sure someone, if you want to, if you purposely want to see if someone broke into something that you want them to break into. Yeah, you put like a hair or an eyelash. Yes, and you stick it with a bit of saliva either side of a doorframe, yeah. Yes, that's it. The Spanish authorities returned the briefcase and the documents to uh, Hazelden, who then forwarded it to London in the diplomatic bag. They checked them when they arrived. Yes, the eyelash wasn't there. So then uh, further tests showed that the fibres in the paper had been damaged by folding more than once, which confirmed the letters had been extracted and read. So yeah, they knew that they'd read the letters. Fucking A. Mm-mm-mm. I also just also the uh, you know we all think we're really clever by getting by heating up the kettle and opening a letter with the steam. These guys are some fucking next level shit. That's oh. like twisted it and then put it in salt and then that's fucking nuts. It's incredible. So on the fourteenth of May, nineteen forty-three, Grand Admiral Karl Dönitz met Hitler personally to discuss his recent oh, visit to lucky. Italy. And his meeting with the Italian leader Benito Mussolini and the progress of the war, the Admiral, referring to the mincemeat documents as the Anglo-Saxon order, mm-hmm. said... That sounds so Nazi. Yeah. Said, the Fuhrer does not agree with Mussolini that the most likely invasion point is Sicily. Furthermore, he believes that the discovered Anglo-Saxon order confirms the assumption that the planned attacks will be directed mainly against Sardinia. Hitler personally fell for Operation Mincemeat. Wow. Oh, what I a fucking it. dipshit. I mean, he's already we a got dipshit. got you, Addy. Got you again, you fucking piece Rule, of shit. Britannia <laughs> rules the waves. Britannia. Yeah, we got him. We got, so, we got you good. <laughs> that is Shitler. Operation Mincemeat. It was oh, so cool. a success. That is super cool. So the... Corpse. Yeah. Right. Who was Who's this, this guy? Because you said he was some, a lady. There's some theories. There's one that's most likely, and so likely, in fact, that uh, if you look into this, it's just assumed that it is him. Okay. Oh. To start with, Ewan Montague has said that he'd never name him. Right. Right. That makes sense, because yeah, you of want a family to go like, my son? Montague refused to identify the individual and uh, only described him as a bit of a ne'er-do-well. The only worthwhile thing that he ever did, he did after his death. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So what, is it like a murderer or someone? A prisoner? But in died. 1996, a guy mm. called Roger Morgan 
uncovered evidence in the public records office that identifies the corpse. Oh. oh. Holy shit. Okay. As a homeless gentleman called Glendower Michael, a Welsh oh, homeless Welsh. man. Okay. What? And fucking Ewan was going, he was a ne'er-do-well, he didn't do anything good to him <laughs> after he was dead. Why is that? Because he was mate, Welsh. He was homeless, <laughs> like, I th- I, from that, I assumed it was some, like, murder or yeah, something. Some, yeah, well, some he, real... No, because he died eating rat poison. That he was oh, a homeless yeah. man that died eating rat poison. Right. So Not for kicks, obviously. He's been recognised as the body by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. Okay. I see. But th- listen, I mean, this guy died eating rat poison. He'll never know that he got given a full military funeral. No. Yeah, true. He'll never know that he tricked Hitler. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Imagine knowing that after you died. Somehow. Yeah. You'd be like, what? You got him. Who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, wow. Whoa. So that that's this is the definitely or this is like a, the most likely person for it to be. Um yeah, so if you assume that it's Glendale and Michael, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do, um mm. his parents had already died at the point that he had and I no known no known relatives were found. Okay. Okay. Well it makes sense to use him then. Yeah. Still this idea that it's like, oh, he was a ne'er do well. The only good thing he did was after he dead, like well, man, you don't know that. Yeah, he could have been, he, he could have been alright. He could have run a shop, a really nice little shop. But even, but like as a kid, he might have been like nice to people and stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or like, or like, or like, how that. old was he? How yeah. old was the guy? Montague had said that the body was released on the condition that his identity would never be revealed, which is true. He never did. But on, like I say, in 1996, this uh, historian called Roger Morgan mm. uncovered evidence that suggested it was. Glendower Michael, who mm. had been born in Monmouthshire in South Wales. Mm. Um, before leaving there, he had a couple of part-time jobs as a gardener, as a labourer. His father, Thomas, who was a coal miner, had killed himself when uh, oh. Glendower was 15, and oh, his mother wow. had died when he was 31. He was homeless, he was friendless, he was depressed, he had no money, he drifted to London where he lived on the streets. Right. He was found in an abandoned warehouse close to King's Cross, seriously ill from ingesting rat poison. Right. And then Two days after he was found, he died in St Pancras Hospital at the age of 34. Okay. God, I bet he looked 100 as well. But this right? is yeah. sad, really, really sad. They don't know whether his death was suicide or whether he was just hungry. So they don't know whether he Oh, had... God, yeah, because oh, obviously shit. they'd have yeah. left out yeah. bait for so rats. So they don't know whether oh. he'd eaten rat poison deliberately or yeah. it was on bread crusts that had been left out. I bet it was... Oh. Um, I, I bet it was. I hope it was delicious <laughs> <laughs> i hope at least yeah. he went down going like mm-mm. this is actually quite nice but the <laughs> dose that he had was not enough to kill him outright and the only effect was to impair the functioning of the liver and then he died a little time after yeah oh and i suppose if he was mm-hmm. homeless and a drinker yeah this was about 20 well 26 years ago so 1996 yeah um, yeah when that identification came out people started like countering it and doubting it. This is why there's mm. a few theories. Hey, what is uh, for example, doubt? it seemed odd that somebody as meticulous as Montague would risk the success of an operation by using the body of a man who was neither physically fit nor had died in or close to the manner suggested. Mm. Drowned or in a crash. Right. Uh, mm. Montague says in his book that in 1942 there were no shortage of bodies but none they felt they could take. And then he also said that he feared they may have to steal a body by doing a Birkin hair before the body yeah. of a young man who had died of pneumonia and for oh, whom right. permission to use the body was given could be found. Neither of that tallies with 
physical endeavour. No. But right. remember earlier on, Montague dismissed the need for physical fitness. He doesn't need to look like an officer, only a staff officer. And yes. the cause of death didn't need to be dead on anyway because the body would have been floating for a bit. Yeah, so yeah, the whole point was that it was, yeah. In 2004, a couple of other people suggested that Montague had indeed decided it was important that it had to have died at sea in a crash. Okay. So they used, apparently, the body... So this is what they suggest. They used the body of a serviceman, and then there was an accidental loss of aircraft carrier in the in the River Clyde, and it lost 349 crew members. Mm-hmm. And then such a person on board who had died would be of military fitness and had died in the marine accident... So it would, that would have fit the brief more than Glendale and Michael. Yeah, but then they'd have right. to go out and recover it. Just that body as well. Not inform his family, because he would have been a serviceman yeah. that I imagine would probably have family. And then preserve it. So, and, and oh no, that's... Ah, but then because it was closer to... Glendale and Michael died at the beginning of 1943. Yeah. Operation Mincemeat was April, the end of April 1943. And mm-hmm. the loss of aircraft carrier was march 1943 so the body would be fresher this is true mm. i guess it's like i don't know much about preserving uh, bodies and f- that have been recovered from the water or have been recovered from hospitals of people who've eaten rat poison but i feel like if you've got to put it under ice yeah. the one in the water is probably going to be more difficult to with the whole you have to keep it at a temperature or whatever i don't know right it just feels like I don't know. I yeah. I also think that there's the family ties and stuff like that, that that make that a bit trickier. I think so too because the homeless guy is the how do they trace it? There's nobody exactly. There's no one to trace it. No, back. no one will miss him. Is the is the yeah. is the that's the the official military so word on the, it. Yeah. There is also another tiny tiny little thing that maybe suggests they got Ooh. somebody from this the the loss of the aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. The submarine designated for. Operation Mincemeat, as we know, was the Seraph. San Seraph, yeah. Yeah. And it <laughs> departed from the River Clyde. Mm-hmm. Before the mission set off from the Clyde, Montague described having to drive from London with the body all the way up to Scotland, whereas if the body was already in Scotland, because the aircraft carrier... They would have had to preserve it, right. Would yeah. have, uh, the aircraft carrier sank in the Clyde. Yeah. Mm. So the body would have already been there, maybe, and that's why they left from the Clyde, not down in London. I don't know. Uh, I suppose <laughs> so. But then is there... <sighs> That yeah. I mm. out of the two, I'm still leaning towards Glendower. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's him. There is yeah. a third oh. possibility as well, which there was another investigation into the loss of the aircraft carrier, which is called the Dasher. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Brooks and Blitzen and uh, <laughs> Good Dasher, good Prancer. And the investigation drew similar conclusions to the previous one, but the different body was identified. So that first one, the body they suggested was a man named John Melville. Okay. Okay. In this one identified the body as somebody called Tom Martin, who was a sailor who had perished in the Dasher incident, which may also be where the name Martin came from. Right. William Martin was the fake name. That's right. Yeah, that was the fake name for the. uh... Huh. With the Clyde thing, I think it. I don't know if this kind of makes sense of that, but like there was a thing about how takes me to this place where, like, you know, when um, people were um, smuggling drugs in from. Uh, south america they'd fly up the west coast and down the east coast i think it was or something like that because like the idea was that um no one flies from no one real no one who has to do anything dodgy is flying from north northern parts of north america down to florida 
that's doing anything wrong really that's not like a shifty flight pattern whereas if you're flying right. for south america the quickest path is from south america right to florida right right um, so yeah that was the idea is that they would kind of they'd sometimes do a big round trip and do it that way and i feel like going from the clyde you know yeah they could just leave from london but like well then it just again it's like they've set up all of this great stuff to make sure that they don't get fucking tracked why the fuck would they just be like it's it's yeah. the equivalent of leaving your keys in the fucking door when you, when you it's like just absolutely at the last hurdle ah, go up to the up to scotland and go down i think it feels like it's perhaps there's a legit reason for that maybe it's probably where the only submarine was fucking so you know they had to check the submarine schedule and they're like ah <laughs> next was next was leaving from, from uh scotland all the others well, are busy <laughs> do you want to know something else that might yeah so the body as we know the body was buried with four military honors as major william martin mm-hmm. and the grave was number 1886 in the san marco section of the cemetery at nuestra senora in however and the headstone reads william martin born 29th of march 1907 died 24th of april 1943 beloved son of john glendower martin and the late antonio martin oh so, the fact they might have got the guy's real name in there as yeah. the middle name, maybe. Oh, maybe yeah. Maybe it's Glendower fucking Michael. That's, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Th- that feels but, very much oh, like I love a... They pay tri- we yeah. must pay tribute to this man. <laughs> I love him. They have... I'm in love with him. <laughs> Montague, Montague, please. I need you to listen to me. Um, I've, I'm in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> After the identification of... Uh, him as Glendale Michael in the mid-90s, um, a new inscription was added to the gravestone. Oh. Glendale Michael served as Major William Martin. Ah, oh, that's nice. And then a plaque commemorating Glendale Michael has been added to the war memorial in his hometown of Abbebargoid. And I think I've said right. that right. And it uh, translates as the man who never was. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. I like that, um, oh, do you know, because I don't believe in the afterlife, but it, this makes me wish it was real so that in the afterlife that guy could go, I did what? Yeah. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely that woman's dad from, uh, what's the guy, the actor who plays him in uh, Palm Springs? <laughs> Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher, is definitely Peter what Gallagher. Do you, do you want to know oh, something man. else? Uh, there's nothing, not really related to the mystery, but it's a little bit of cool detail. Ewan Montague, who is the uh, sort of like mastermind of well, yeah, Operation Mince Me, or was at least inspired by that list written by Ian Fleming. Yeah. Um, his first cousin, once removed, is Christopher Guest. What? Oh. Of I Spinal see. Tap fame. Oh. Which means, here, I guess. Here, there's a little guy in here, no one. <laughs> uh, Montague died in 1985. He might have been at Jamie Lee Curtis's wedding. Oh. <laughs> nah. Yeah. <laughs> they married, and um, the corpse of William, he was there in the front row. All Sitting stood next up to you. And, like, all greyed out and just a skeleton with Bloated a and, like... and Ewan puts a warm man round him, like, well done. Well done. Your grand cousin. Christopher, why does he always bring that dead body with him everywhere? <laughs> he's put sunglasses on him, but we know he's dead. We and know Christopher Guess is well. like, oh, William, you made it. And they're like... <laughs> he's so Ugh. happy. They go, yeah. And Jamie Curtis is like having to meet him. Going, well, say hello to William, Jamie. Hello. Uh, uh, um, hello. 
oh, he likes you. And then he's getting the skeleton hand to like brush her tit. <laughs> oh, William, he always was a frisky one. Is it? <laughs> you have to watch him. They married what? in 1984. He was at the wedding. He yeah. Yeah. At the wedding. We know he was there. Which means, we know he was there. Which means he would have and... met Tony Curtis. Oh, my God. <laughs> and oh, he's such a big fan of your movies, aren't you? Aren't you? <laughs> he both saw and enjoyed... Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. <gasps> oh, I love doing this. He did. Oh my God. <laughs> How old was he when he died? Uh, he was born in 1901, so he'd have been 84. So he wasn't. He was. Oh, oh not, no, he was. I mean, he was 84. He was born in the, it was March 1901 to July 1984. So he wasn't a grizzled war general yeah. when it got to when it was when he was carrying out mince. Yeah, no, he was. He was, he was in his early 40s. Right Although band, that, yeah. like today, early 40s, that's like <laughs> we're nearly that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whereas back then, early 40s is like this walrus of a man <laughs> <laughs> that's operation mincemeat i will be going to see the film yes yeah let's Absolutely. all go as a trip that would be good that's a good that's a, that's a good and if we're going to see operation mincemeat we should see thunder gun express <laughs> i heard the hangs down <laughs> i hear the corpse <laughs> hey, hangs down hey in operation mincemeat i hope we get to see the corpse hanged on hang down. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's 70 percent of the movie it's just we're all gonna walk out and be like that corpse i'm in love with him i'm in love with the corpse guys i'm in love with the corpse and then you go i thought it was just me he's got a big old sweaty hog that won't quit (laughs) (laughs) you know what you're gonna find a big old sweaty hog that won't quit (laughs) i don't like big old sweaty hog i think i'm fine with as a phrase but i didn't like how you said it masood (laughs) big old sweaty hog Big old sweaty hog. Big old sweaty hog, though. I don't like big old, <laughs> big old sweaty hog. No <laughs> oh, that was a fucking roller coaster. I really enjoyed that. Was that was amazing. That was incredible, Chris. It had everything. Romance. I mean, we injected that, but it had it. So had we're it. still in 1940s. We're 1943 now, Second World War. Mm. Yeah. It's a big old time, though, to be fair. And a lot of this sets lot the stage for the next part of it, which is obviously, you know... The next year, <laughs> no, but yeah, like the following um, year of war, the, the coming years of, of the Cold War, etc. Like all mm. of it just yeah, it's, it's it, I think what always fascinates me is like the very sort of clear cut thing of World War Two, and it's like it's sort of the last part of that, and then when we do get into the quite weird grey, well not grey but somewhat grey areas of the Cold War. Yeah. Well, well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Mystery on the Rocks, the podcast that we just did, that you listened to just now. (laughs) You can find more exclusive content on our Patreon, patreon.com slash mystery on the rocks. There's bonus episodes that you don't get to hear anywhere else, cocktail recipes, and all manner of other crazy crap. You can get a hoodie, a mug, a t-shirt, and a poster if you join up to our top tier of our Patreon. Isn't that great? All that merch. People will go, that looks great. Where'd you get it? And you'll go, mm, you wouldn't get it. It's a Mystery on the Rocks thing. And then you'll feel exclusive. It's niche. You can also find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash mystery on the rocks. But this time, rocks is spelt with an X because that's going to give it to you because Twitter's character limit going to fuck us up. Well, that's all from us this week. <laughs> <laughs> You can find more at our Patreon. Oh no, I'm on a loop. <laughs> I just love the idea of the the niche thing. Somebody saying that, and I just pick someone and be like, niche. I want to be niche. I can be niche. Let me give. give, give I want to be niche. <laughs> and they sign up, and they're like top tier Patreon, and they accidentally join three times. Yeah. <laughs> like I've niche. got three of these fucking t-shirts. <gasps> Bye. Mystery on the rocks. Oh.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.